unity to be a part of and one with uh, himself. We know that that oneness was uh, broken and lost uh, when Adam decided to do some other things. But Father never gave up on his heart's desire to rescue us, to save us, to redeem us, and to bring us back into his family and to make us one with him. And that's what reconciliation is. We will hopefully get a little more into that tonight. But to, to be reconciled to God means to be reestablished, to be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with him. And when it's say, the reestablished part is important because we were originally created to be one uh, with God, one and have fellowship with him. We've broken down oneness with God into two main categories, if you will, two main schools of thought, and that's the positional side, where we're positionally one with God, and then the functional side, where we live our lives and function as one with Him. We know that Adam was one with God positionally. God created him in that position. But then we also see him functioning as one with God when he named all the animals. Adam couldn't do that without God. Amen. And so God and Adam working together. We see, again, these things supported by many other verses throughout the Word of God. In, all the way over in the New Testament where we're heirs of God and co-heirs together with Jesus. But then we also see that we are co-laborers together with Him. Co-laborers together with Him. So it's a beautiful thing for us to understand. And I want you and me to understand it for our benefit. But in the same way that Father God says He has forgiven you and me our sins and remembers them no more for His benefit. Uh, he did it for His namesake. He did it for His sake. Um, I want you to also understand it from the heart of our Heavenly Father and what He ultimately uh, desires to enjoy and experience uh, with you and me uh, and for you to experience uh, with Him and uh, His Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So we said oneness and fellowship with God are not possible without right standing with God. We've got to have right standing in order to have oneness now, this one truth should go a long way towards explaining why Father has given to you and me not just grace, but the Bible says an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Um, uh, let me give you a few verses from Romans 5 uh, towards this point. Romans 5 and 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, I wish I had about 40 minutes to, to really dig into that right there, but just know that it was not your sin that made you a sinner. It was not my sin that made me a sinner. I'm not saying you haven't sinned, and I'm not saying that I haven't sinned, but it was Adam's sin. Um, and, and, and when Adam sinned, it corrupted his seed, and we were all in Adam. I know this is some heavy stuff right out of the gates, but we were all in Adam in seed form when Adam sinned. And so when Adam sinned, his seed was corrupted. So everyone born after Adam's seed has been born from corrupted seed. That's why you must be born again. Come on now. With an un incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And so when, um, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And, and the result of sin spread to all men. Okay? All people. Praise God. You still with me? I, I feel like we need to spend a little more time there. But let's, let's just... Take it for, for that part right there and let the Lord show you some more about it later. But there's one word that I want you to think of when you hear the word death more than any other word. And that's the word separation. That's the word separation. Um, Greg, Marcos, could we back off the base a little bit over here? That, it, I'm getting a, that 
funny, funky sound in my ear over here, and it's got a little bit distracting. So thank you, brothers. Y'all doing a great job back there. All right. So, so this is important because this wasn't just something that happened to Adam. Uh, thank you. That's perfect. So it wasn't just happened to Adam, but it happened to everyone born uh, after Adam. Uh, we were born separated from God. And let's go to Romans 5 and 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, capital O, Jesus Christ. Now, again, I'm asking you to consider death as being separated from God. Death, sin separates from God and separated from God is... is um, is death. Amen. Because God is the life source. No different than if you had a power tube plugged into a socket and you revved it wide open and unplugged it, right? Now it's been unplugged from its life source and it may coast for a while, but it's eventually going to wind down. All right. So when sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, separation from God spread to all men. Separation from God spread to all men. And so it was one man's offense, and that man was Adam, right, that caused death or separation from God to reign over uh, every human being. Um, But much more now. So in the same way, but even greater. That's what he's saying here. In the same way, but even greater, um, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will now reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, reigning in life... He's talking about your life reality, but he's talking about something much more than that. He's talking about the life that we now have because we've been re-established in oneness and fellowship with God. That, that's life. If death is separation, then life is connection. Amen. Or we can say it another way. If death is separation, then life is fellowship. And, of course, Jesus said uh, in um, let's see, with John 17, I believe, that um, this is eternal life. Amen. This is eternal life. Uh, and he wasn't just talking about a prayer that people pray, but he was talking about the, the knowing, the intimate knowing, the intimate union uh, that we have with the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, uh, experientially know you, Father, amen, and, and the Son whom you have sent. Now, one more verse from Romans 5 and 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So sin wasn't just something we, we did, it was something we were. That's important, Okay. So the Bible says that you were once darkness, um, Ephesians 5, 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light, period. Go and walk in the light. So notice what he's saying here. Darkness wasn't just something that we were in or something that we did. It was something that we were. In the same way, sin wasn't just something that we did. It was something that we were. We were born sinners, before we ever lived to commit our own sin, amen, we were born into iniquity. We were born into sin. I know for a lot of folks this is new teaching. They, some people in church their whole life never heard anybody explain this to them. But this is exactly what it is that Jesus came to separate, to, to save us from, the separation uh, that, that, that we were locked into and hopelessly uh, locked into apart from Him coming and restoring that oneness. So, one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. So also by one, man, one man's obedience. Again, this is comparing uh, Jesus to Adam. And by the way, if you don't know this, um, Jesus is referred to as the, as the last Adam. Uh, with Adam in the garden being the first and now Jesus coming uh, as the last Adam. So also by one man, Jesus' obedience many will be made righteous. So again, in the same way that sin was something that we were, not just something that we did, 
righteousness now is not just something we, we do, but it's something that we've been made. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's something that you became. How did, how did you go from um, one who was by nature uh, a, 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 a sinner, right, to one who's now by nature a partaker of the divine nature of God, Second Peter 1? How, how did that happen? How do we go from uh, by nature a sinner to now by nature righteous? We were born a second time. First time we were born of corrupted seed that made us all uh, sinners by nature, not just by practice. Now we've been born, come on with it. We've been born a second time of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Amen. And, and so now we become a partaker of the divine nature through this new birth. So we've been made righteous, meaning what? We've been given right standing with God, meaning what? Meaning we've now been re- reconciled or reestablished, come on now, reestablished into oneness and fellowship with God. So sin caused death. Death is separation, and separation from God is the complete opposite of fellowship with God. Are you seeing this? Complete opposite of what God created us for, what He desires to have with us. Now, I say this all the time, but it's been a few weeks since I've said it, so I'm going to say it again, all right? Um, Your number one purpose in life is fellowship with God. Every other purpose is not only second to that purpose, it's dependent upon it. So do do you have uh, a purpose involving... uh, parenting? Do you have a purpose involving ministry? Do you have a purpose involving, uh, you know, marriage? Do you, there's all these purposes that, that we have. They're godly purposes, it's extremely important. But not only are those purposes, God-given, God-assigned destinies and purposes, not only are those secondary um, to fellowship with God, they're dependent upon it. Meaning, uh, as we fellowship with God, we become better husbands and wives. As we fellowship with God, we become, uh, you know, better uh, equipped to, to, to effectively minister, so forth and so on. Does that make sense to you? All right. So, <clears throat> separation from God is the complete opposite of fellowship with Him. Now, we know that Jesus, and we're going to hopefully deal with that some more tonight, but we know that Jesus has uh, ruthlessly and thoroughly and finally dealt with our sin problem. But we see in Adam that the sin that separated him from God also caused him to be ashamed and hide from God, which then in turn caused him to be afraid. And we tried to break that down last week. Obviously fear, but, but he, because Adam no longer knew where he stood with God, um, he, he lost his confidence in God. Not that God had done anything, and we spent, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes on that last week. I'm not going to try to reteach that. But you know, think about it in your own life. You know, if, if, if you've, uh, you know, your boss loves you, but you've been late three mornings in a row, now you're not sure where you stand with him, right? And you're kind of hoping that you get there before him because you're late again on the fourth morning, and maybe he's taking the kids to school and he won't know you're late. Or I'm being silly, but... Notice now that in other words, the transgression undermines the confidence or our standing. And so when, when Adam sinned against God, uh, he felt ashamed, he felt uh, exposed, uh, and, and then, of course, he was afraid. And, and now the presence of God that he used to enjoy, and by the way, the Bible says, in the presence of God is fullness of joy, right? Um, and pleasures evermore at his right hand. So think about what Adam enjoyed uh, but now, all of a sudden, uh, the presence of God has become unbearable to him. 
Uh, he has become darkness, and, and, and darkness is now running from the light, hiding from the light. Okay. Now, the, the key reason that we keep focusing on this is because Jesus did not just come to forgive you of your sin. He actually came to take your sin away, and I'm going to show you that to you in the Bible here in just a minute. Forgiving is one thing. Taking away is a completely different thing. Okay, It's a better thing. And the reason he took your sin away is because he wanted to ultimately cleanse you of your sin, but then also purge your consciousness of sin or the awareness of sin, which causes the shame that leads to the fear or the lack of confidence. Okay. Now, I almost want to go on a whole little mini-series about our confidence in God. Maybe we'll circle back around that to that in, in the first of next year. But let me just comment here. Jesus... Uh, told us a parable in um, in Luke. I've got these verses somewhere in my scriptures. Luke 11 and 5. Uh, this is from the King James Version. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. I thought I'd put the rest of the verses in here. I didn't. But let me just quickly tell you. If you he goes to this friend after midnight and the friend on the inside says, so friend, 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 that's a fellowship word. Friend, friend, friend is a fellowship word. So one man in fellowship with another man um, goes to a third man that he's in fellowship with and says, hey, I got, a, I got a buddy that's been traveling all day and well into the night. He's at my house. He's hungry. I don't have anything to give him. Um, would, would you mind giving me some bread to give to him? See, in a fellowship, uh, it's all things in common. In a fellowship, you having bread and somebody else not having it is unacceptable. Okay, And, and so the man says, listen, me and my family, we're already asleep. You're waking up the baby. You know how long it took us to get this baby to sleep? You know, shh, you know. And, he's, and he knocks again. He's like, listen, this guy's hungry. He's been traveling all day. And so the Bible says that not just for his need, but because of his importunity. And that's a big word like mayonnaise, but importunity literally means because of his shameless asking. Because of his shameless asking. Now, why would Jesus use such a word, importunity, that ultimately means shameless asking? He then goes under these verses that you are probably familiar with, ask and it'll be given, knock and it'll be open, seek and you'll find. Everyone who knocks, everyone who knocks uh, uh, is answered. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who asks, it's given. Okay, Everyone, that's Jesus speaking there, so we can take that to the bank. But now watch this. The context of always receiving when you ask, always having it open when you knock, always um, finding when you seek is to ask shamelessly, <laughs> to seek shamelessly, to, um, to knock shamelessly. Are you seeing this, right? But, but see, when we live with the shame of our sin, even though our sin's been dealt with, it, we don't come boldly like God instructs us. He tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. But the shame that lingers, you know, compels us to, um, and one last thing, this keeps popping up in my spirit, you know, it's kind of like that thing at the bottom of your computer screen that needs attention and it keeps bouncing like this. I got one of those kind of bouncing in my spirit. See, the, the, the Lord wanted to specifically say this, right? Um, the devil never wants you to have enough confidence to say things like, I will never do this again. I will never go there again. I'll never be broke another day in my life. I will never be in a wrong or bad relationship. You, you see, the, the, oh, see, no, whoa, whoa, yeah. because see, that it requires confidence. It requires confidence to say that, right? Amen. And so, see, the enemy never wants you to have that level of bold confidence. But a man who's been made right, 
made righteous and knows he's been made righteous, this man or woman is going to be bold as a lion. This man will declare a thing and see God establish it in his or her life. But it comes back to, see, shame, shame is to our functional oneness with God what sin was to our positional oneness. So God deals with the sin and we become, we, we become positionally reconnected with Him, united with Him once again, one spirit together with Him. Uh, but if, if, if the sin that has already been dealt with, if we don't also allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the work of Jesus to deal with our shame, that shame will still interfere with our ability to function as one with God. Amen. Are you picking this? Are you seeing this? Are you, are you following this? Okay. So Jesus then, He took away our sin and restored our right standing with God. When Jesus removed the sin, took it away, um, he took away the basis for our shame. He took away the basis for our lack of confidence. And as we, he, he wants to purge your consciousness of sin, your awareness of sin. This is why Paul would say things like, I've wronged no man. And this was the same Paul that oversee the, the, the martyrdom of Christians. right? <laughs> but notice now, God had not only purged him of that sin, but he had purged his remembrance of it. He had purged his consciousness of it. And, um, and I know a lot of people say, well, that, 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 you know, there's just things, Pastor Mark, that I just can't ever forget. Be it unto you according to your faith. Amen. In other words, believe, believe that what Jesus did on the cross is not just enough to take the sin away, but also to take away the, the awareness of it, the, the memory of it, the shame uh, associated with it that continues to interfere. And, and uh, there's so much in my, in my notes here. Let me, let me come back. Praise God. Uh, there's so many things that I'm wanting to get to, but there's other things also that we need. And I don't want to just, you know, it's kind of, and I, I stay away from, it's been a long time since I've been to a buffet, you know, to eat. But you know, when you go to the buffet, it's like you go straight for the thing you like, you know. And uh, there's a reason why they put the salad first, okay. Um, just go ahead and get in that salad line. I'm going to break. I'm not waiting on the salad, man. I'm going for the, I'm going for the meat and taters, you know what I'm saying. And, and so, but how many of you know a well-balanced diet is important, right? But when it comes to the Word of God, it's like there's certain things that we need to understand to build upon and, and lay a foundation so that we can build other things on those. Um, you know, and they even use the, the imagery in the Scriptures Paul did about being a master builder to, to build these things and layer them and establish them. Uh, for people so that they can, um, you know, see it uh, well enough to, uh, to live and to, and to operate by it, okay? Now, so let me get back to this. Um, functional oneness with God, then, is dependent upon positional oneness with Him. And we use the, the imagery, the, 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 the scriptures in God-ordained marriage. Marriage is the example of this, Okay. And, and this is why, listen, I'm not here to drop the hammer on anybody. I'm, I'm just saying, this is why, you know, people trying to live and function together as man and wife that haven't entered into a covenant with God that, that positions them in the eyes of God as man and wife, it's, it's not ever going to work, okay? Now, you, you know, you, it may work according to the world standards of what works, okay? But, but you know, that, again, you gotta, you got to do... God's way so you can have God's results and God's blessings on these things, right? So the marriage covenant is what makes a man and a woman positionally one, right? But now the positional oneness, again, um, is necessary in order for functional oneness to be a possibility or an option. So functional oneness with God, that's what we're looking for. 
That's what God's looking for, and that's what we're looking for, whether we understand that or not, have we ever heard those words before or not, is for you and me to live and experience and enjoy every day of our lives in, in walking together in oneness with God. Amen. Amen. And so functional oneness with God is dependent upon positional oneness with Him. So positional oneness, though, listen now, this is important as well. Positional oneness, your position as one with God, is not dependent upon functional oneness, no matter what religion will tell you. Now, if you're not picking up what I'm putting down there, let me, let me try to explain to you, okay, because this is very important that you understand this. What we're saying, positional oneness is not dependent upon functional oneness, okay? What, 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 what does that mean? Can, can a, let's go back to the marriage example. Husband and wife can be married and, and, and have a covenant before God that makes them one with one another and hardly ever speak to one another, hardly ever enjoy one another's company. So the positional oneness provides the foundation for the functional oneness. But the positional oneness at marriage is a classic example. It doesn't mean that the functional oneness, enjoying one another and, and, and giving one another, you know, yourselves, that doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen. Something you have to develop, something you have to cultivate with the Lord's help and according to His wisdom and His Word. All right? And so the same is true when God positions us back. Remember, Adam was positioned as one with God uh, and then he functioned as one with God. When he lost his positional oneness, there was the shame overtook any option, any possibility uh, for him to ever function as one with God. So I'm, I, you say, Pastor Mark, you talk a lot about this. Why are we continuing here? Again, connecting things together so that the Holy Spirit can paint this picture for us in our hearts. So this is important to understand because it means your position is not based upon your performance. That's so important right there. Your position with God the Father as one with Him is, is, is not dependent upon your, form, your performance. It provides the foundation for your performance, but it is not based upon. Because again, who you be is not determined by what you do. Who you be is not determined by what you do. So what is our positional oneness with God based upon? I'm trying to show you some things here. Functional oneness with God, right, is based upon positional oneness. Are you seeing this? Marriage covenant, two become one. Now let's learn how to live as one and enjoy it, okay? If you don't, if you don't have the covenant that positions you as one, no covenant trying to function as one, it's not ever going to work, okay? Or at least the way God intended for it to work. Now, in the same way, positionally one with God, functionally one with God, God made you positionally one with Himself so that you could functionally function as one with Him. Functioning is based upon position. Position is not based upon function. You seeing this? Yes, please. Help me, Holy Spirit. We've got to get this. See, religion, religion will tell you that if you don't play all your religious cards right, then God's mad at you. He's done with you. He's turned His back on you. Maybe He'll give you a chance later. No, see. So, what then is our oneness with God, positioned as one with God? What is it based upon? Well, more appropriately, we should ask the question this way. Who is our positional oneness with God based upon? Not just what, who. Who in the sense that it's based upon the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then what being what Jesus, what who did for us. Amen. What he did for us is, is what has enabled us to now, Adam, where are you? Adam, where'd you go? You vacated your position. Sin cost Adam his position. And then it cost him his standing. Think of that, standing. He no longer had standing with God. 
he, knew, he, knew, he no longer knew where he stood with God. The devil does not ever want you to know where you stand with God. Let me tell you where you stand with God. You stand right beside Him. Because we're seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. You're in the family photo, dude. And you, and you didn't bomb it, right? You were welcomed in. Jesus sitting there got His arm around you. Okay? That's where you stand with Him. But see, if you never understand where you stand, here we go back to the shame, the timidity, um, never say never. That's what the world says. Oh, never say never, brother. Whoop. What do you mean saying you'll never do that again? Never say never. Well, it's one thing to say never in arrogance and pride, and the Bible has a lot to say about that, right? Be careful when you think you stand lest you fall. But there's another thing. When you, when you are aware of whose you are and who is in you and what's been done for you and, and, and the righteousness and the freedom that Jesus paid the ultimate price to not just give to you but to make you. And so you can say, in the name of Jesus, I will never. Amen. Amen. See, what I hopefully have time to show you tonight, but, but what Jesus did for you and me on the cross, it ended our relationship with sin. The one thing that once separated us from God, Jesus separated us from it. Sin eternally separated us from God. Jesus eternally separated us from sin. That's the only way we can have eternal life. Sin separated us. Thank you for that because I needed to say that again. Sin separated us from God. Jesus came and separated us from the sin that separated us from God. That's Romans 6. Amen. I, I got it in my notes. I mean, it's, all these things just, you know, it's like that one thing that bumps up and then another thing, then another thing, then another thing. All right. Amen. So Adam lost his position. Because ultimately what it boils down to, whether he realizes what he was doing or not, is he chose the way of separation. Or he chose death. God said if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. And so when he ate the fruit, he chose death. But, but again, I'm trying to help you see, not to water it down, but to, for you to... It's like we can talk about fear. Oh, he was so afraid. He hid. He was so afraid. All right, how about this? He lost his confidence because he didn't know where he stood anymore. See, again, that to me is maybe a little more relatable. And so now when we, when we talk about you know, Adam ate the fruit and died. Well, he ate the fruit and he died because he ate the fruit and that was sin and sin separated Adam from his life source, from his source of protection, from his source of provision, from his source of, of, of everything, purpose, all of these things. Now, the price that was paid to reestablish you in positional oneness with God the price that was paid to reestablish you and me in positional oneness with God should go a long way towards showing us how important our functional oneness with God is to Him. Does that make sense to you? I know I kind of read that slow. Because why? Remember, you can't have the functional without the positional. You've got to have the positional because it provides the foundation for the functional. What does God ultimately desire? Only positional oneness with you? No, He desires functional oneness with you. I didn't just desire to be positionally one with Pam and then her live in Fairfield and me live in Hueytown. 
Are you, are you, that's, she lived in Fairfield, I lived in Hueytown when we got married. By the way, I love you, Mom and Dad, but I had a curfew the night of our wedding rehearsal dinner. That's how this boy was raised, praise God. All right. <laughs> I know you're getting married tomorrow, son, but you'll be home by 11 tonight. I'm like, yes, sir, be there, praise God. Amen. I don't know where that came from, but I, I, I'm over it. Amen. This may sound like a little bitterness there, but it's not. Amen. But he's fine. I didn't, I didn't just marry her so I could tell people, oh, I got a wife. I, I ain't seen her in six weeks. I, she's, you know, she, I'm not sure what she's doing. But no, we became positionally one. Now we're getting under the side. We're getting in an apartment, man. You know what I'm saying? We, 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 we fixed to enjoy life together. And, of course, we had some learning to do. We were very young, thank God. That's, I understand it gets a little harder to make those adjustments the older you get. But she was 18, I was 20. And, and five years later, we're, now we're ready. We've got Bethany coming in. And a few years after that, here comes John Mark and families growing and, and stuff, right? And as God has added to us, responsibilities, children, grandchildren, ministry-wise, all this other stuff. See, we've, we've, we've grown in our functional oneness, but none of that would have ever been possible had we not stood before God on July the 10th, 1987 and entered into a covenant before God that made us positionally one. So you would have never been able to be positionally one with God had Jesus not done everything that he did to make that available, that option available to you. And then you come to the altar and you ask God into your heart and and, and he makes you a new creation. He makes you and gives you as a gift. Remember Romans 5, 17? We have received an abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness. He gave you right standing with himself. He gave you positional oneness with himself. He gave you the standing that you need to be able to have the oneness that he desires to have with you. That ought to tell you, again, that ought to tell you how much he desires oneness with you, fellowship with you, for him to pay the price that he paid to be able to give you the gift of right standing with him. Praise the name of the living God. He said, I hid myself because I was afraid when I heard your voice. I was afraid... Because I was naked. So think about this now. God's desire for you and me is fellowship with Him. And and now His very presence makes us want to hide. His very voice makes us want to plug our ears. (laughs) I I said it three or four weeks ago. You know, it's like we, we tend to think we've got the problem. We do have a problem, but God's got a problem. Are you are you following what I'm saying? That's fellowship mindset right there. If somebody that you're in fellowship with has a problem, you got a problem. And what I mean by that is we're, we're in this together. Two fellows in a ship, right? We're in this together. There's no, there's no such thing. There is no such thing as me winning and Pam losing. We either, we either winning or we losing, but ain't, it ain't one of us winning and one of us losing. Because that's, that's not fellowship. That's a relationship. It's not fellowship. All right, now, man, I need about two more hours, praise God. Amen. Amen. Father, I'm convinced and and believe that I've done what you told me to do tonight. So let me, unbroken fellowship, unbroken fellowship, let me, um, Let me give these verses in Romans 6 and we'll call it a night. Praise God. So Jesus is one sacrifice. 
Jesus, one sacrifice for all sin, for all people, for all time. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a giant index finger pointing to the final answer, the final solution, which was not more animals, more goats, more sheep, more lamb, but it was the spotless lamb, the Son of God, to offer himself as the payment, as the redemption for all sin, for all people, for all time. And that's what, that's what Jesus has done for us. Now, we, we see this in different places in the Scripture, okay? But let's, let's at least finish right here in Romans 6, 10 and 11. It says, For the death that He, Jesus, died, He died to sin once for all, one death for all people, for all sin, once and for all. Do you understand what I mean by once and for all? If it's once and for all, then it never needs to be repeated. If it's an animal that covers the sin that was committed up until the point that the sin, you know, the animal was sacrificed, then any sin after that animal, has, there has to be another animal. It, in other words, an animal sacrifice was not one sacrifice for all sin for all time. And, and the sacrifice of an animal, only <laughs> it only got you current. Right? <laughs> Now we're going to try to stay out of debt because if we accrue more debt, then we've got to offer another animal to pay for that. Jesus said, I'll tell you what, let's make an eternal payment because that's the only way we can have eternal salvation. I'm quoting Bible now. This isn't, this isn't Southern Baptist doctrine. I'm quoting Bible now. Okay. Why, though? Why? Why would God do this? Why would he, this is an abundance of grace. This isn't just grace. This is grace in abundance. Why, why would God give us this kind of grace? Let's go back to it. Why did He give us right standing as a gift? Because apart, there can be no fellowship without right standing. Amen. Amen. If I don't have right standing with you, we're not going to enjoy a fishing trip together. Amen. We, in other words, we, if, if, there's a, if there's an issue that needs to be resolved, then let's resolve it and then let's go catch some bass. But until that, it's going to be very awkward. You understand awkward? It's going to be, again, because we don't know where we stand. You've got to have the standing to have the fellowship. And so God wants the fellowship so bad. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll just give you the standing. See, that's an abundance of grace. All right? But now, there's no such thing as on-again, off-again oneness. You can have an on-again, off-again relationship. But you can't have on-again, off-again oneness. Amen. Are you with me? I mean, we don't, Pam and I don't have an on-again, off-again marriage. There's no such thing, as that, for that matter, as an on-again, off-again marriage. There can be uh, strife in a marriage that affects the fellowship within the marriage, the functional fellowship within the marriage, the functional oneness within the marriage. But, again, that covenant is that, is, is that covenant, and that position is that position. Are you seeing this? So, Father says, you know what? I, I, don't, want, uh, I don't want a relationship, on-again, off-again relationship. I want, I want oneness, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down... A payment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it so that sin can never separate them from me again. <laughs> and you say, well, how much does that cost? What is, what does that payment look like? It looks like the uncreated, spotless, only begotten Son of God is what it looks like. And He made that payment. That's why the Bible says Jesus is our eternal redemption. Okay, For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckoning is um, a function of the mind. Because our sin is gone, shame exists in our mind. It's a figment of your imagination. And considering or reckoning is a deliberate and intentional action of the mind. Now let me give you this in Amplified and we'll, and we'll finish up, okay? I know I said that three minutes ago, but I promise I'm finishing. Romans six ten and 11 from the Amplified. For by the death he died, he died to sin, ending his relationship to it. There's a parallel verse to this in Hebrews where it says Jesus is coming back, but he ain't coming back for sin. First time he came, he came for sin. He dealt with it. So when he's coming back, he's not coming back to deal with sin again because sin doesn't need to be dealt with again. He dealt with it the first time he came, ruthlessly, thoroughly, and finally. For by the death he died, he died to sin, ending his relation to it once for all. And the life that he lives, he is living to God in unbroken fellowship with Him. Verse 11, Even so consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relation to it broken, your relation to it severed, but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with Him in Christ Jesus. Stand with me, praise God. Unbroken fellowship. Hmm. Sounds like the title of a book, doesn't it? Unbroken Fellowship. Let me give you another one. Hebrews 10, 14. Perfected forever. Wow. 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 Are you seeing this? Are you seeing it? Man, I so want you to see it. I'm I'm a little bit sensitive. um, And and part of it is, is... I don't, I don't want to say something that would offend somebody and cause them to not hear the balance of all of this. I've had people get offended and, and, and even leave the church. Um, one particular family told me, this, I just don't believe what you're preaching about grace. And I said, well, tell me. Tell me what you're not sure about, you know. She said, I want my children to be scared to do wrong. Yikes. See what we're dealing with there, right? And I don't mean this. I don't mean this arrogant, and it's going to sound arrogant. So just cut me some slack here, okay? I knew her argument against what I'm trying to preach to you now better than she did. I don't mean that ugly. There's all these things that people. Well, you know, brother, I know what the Bible says, but it's not what it means. You know? And so all these Hebrews six, Hebrews ten, all these different. Things. See, you can lose your salvation. See, you can. Okay, so you've got two verses that seem to. Um, imply that you can and you've got 6,000 verses that say you can't. So maybe there's an explanation for the two that... Amen. Amen. It's not rational grace. It's an amazing, abundant, above and beyond all that you can ask or think grace. Again, for you and me, yes. But also father's like this is what i want and what if you read the bible you see something about our heavenly father okay if he decides he wants something doesn't matter how long it takes or how much it costs and so that's why paul says god did all this according to the counsel of his will 
It's his idea. He didn't ask you. But notice now, he's not making you be a part of it either. Jesus didn't ask you. Jesus said, you know, I'm going I'm to demonstrate the love of God for God's enemies and die for them. And anybody who wants in on what I'm paying for, I'm paying for everybody. I mean, come on. What do he say? Buy bread without money. Right? What you hungry for and starving for. Come on, you ain't got it. I'm paying the, I'm paying the bill. Just if you want in, come on and in. But he's not going to make you come. But see, every, the devil's the one who wants you to question your salvation. Why does he want you to question your salvation? Because he doesn't want you to have confidence. Well, you know, I don't know. You know, I've been a pretty bad person, Pastor Mark. I don't know. So, uh, amen. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Because of your great love with which you've loved us, Father, is how the Holy Spirit beautifully said it through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2. Because of your desire from before the beginning of this world as we know it right now, you long to have beings like you in fellowship with you. And so you created us in your image and likeness to know your love and to be loved by you and to receive love from us. Father, to to bear your image in this created realm and to glorify you in our fellowship and oneness with you. Father, that's what we're surrendering to. That's what we're saying yes to. Father, help us when, when people's salvation is more about saying no to hell than yes to fellowship with you. Help us see these things, Father. Help us not forget these things. Devil, you won't steal this tonight. Mm-mm, can't touch it. Amen. This, this, has, this has been deposited. Lord, I sense it in my spirit. In, in deep, fertile soil, this word has been planted. And it is already putting down roots, saith the Lord. And it will begin to produce fruit in your life immediately. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for being here. Good things coming for you and yours. Life and peace, amen.